Welcome back to Just One Question. And I'm really honored and pleased to have Jim Schlexer back on the show. Uh, uh, Jim talked to us not that long ago, a few weeks ago, about his expertise in showing CEOs what's what and how to get it right. And he let drop that he was also a sommelier in the midst of that conversation, or perhaps in our pre-taping conversation. And as a lover of both, uh, especially red wine and white wine as well, I uh, couldn't help but but uh, jump at the chance uh, and, and invite him to come back and talk about uh, wine. Um, uh, Jim founded the CEO Project, but he's also, as I said, a certified sommelier. So today, we're going to be talking about his second book, which is called Professional Drinking. So I'm really looking forward to learning some pro tips and tricks about how to be a more professional drinker. Uh, Jim, how are you? Awesome. Thank you so much for having me back, Nick. I'm looking forward to three more times and I get my five-timer jacket. Isn't that how it works? It's true. You get a gold star <laughs> and everybody else is going to ask you, how do I get the gold star? That's exactly, exactly. how it works. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, well, when I was in graduate school, Jim, I thought while I'm at it, while I'm learning all these uh, all these difficult facts and recondite lore about the Victorian period, mm. I thought I'm going to also learn French wine because once I have my PhD, I need to be sophisticated and understand wine. And so I mm -hmm. jumped in, started doing research, and I was thrown because the one of the first facts I learned was that there are 16,000 vineyards in France alone. And I thought, yeah. how in the heck am I ever going to even begin to make a dent in that field of knowledge? And as we were talking before, this, this feeling may well come over many a... Uh, a restaurant goer when you get to the restaurant and you're handed the wine list and the fancier the restaurant typically the deeper the wine list but you look at this vast array of possibilities and wonder how am i going to choose something that uh, doesn't bust the budget but is is tasty enough to make the evening the special one i want it to be jim help us out we're all <laughs> lost in this vast world of wine you're the expert tell us what do we need to know Yep, absolutely. And thanks. And, and you know, it can bring strong people to their knees, uh, a wine list. There's no doubt about it. So I'm going to give you five ideas around professional drinking that I think will help people as they get handed the wine list. And, and the first idea is a pairing idea, which is what grows together, goes together. So what that means is um, if I'm in an Italian restaurant, I'm going to have Italian wine because the terroir that affected the food will affect the wine. And they generally will go together very, very nicely. French food, French wine, Greek food, Greek wine. I mean, I don't drink Assertico very often. It's a white wine from Greece. But when I have Greek food, pony up. We're going to have some Assertico or a Zinamarogo, which is a red wine from there. So just that's your first pass. So don't go to an Italian restaurant and get a Napa Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm -hmm. The second is when you're thinking about how much money should I spend on the wine? Mm -hmm. I want to give you a rule of thumb, which is look at the entree price and multiply by two to three. So what that means is if I'm in a steak place and the average steak is you know, $60, I might spend 120 to up to $180 to get a decent bottle of wine. I don't need to go more. Mm -hmm. You probably shouldn't go much less. If I'm in a uh, a tapas place or Italian place where the average plate is $25, 50 to 75 on the wine. So that helps gauge how much should I spend in a given restaurant? Look at the entree price, multiply by two to three. There's your kind of sweet spot range of the price list. 
The third item is, you know, particularly if there's a sommelier, people worry about getting the wrong wine or not the right wine. Or here's the real secret. There's no bad wine on a wine list mm-hmm. almost ever because the, the the general manager or the sommelier has tasted every single wine on that wine list. They know they're good wines. They know they match the food. You could almost close your eyes, stick your finger on the list and go, give me one of those. And you'll probably be just fine. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't have this angst, right? There is no bad wine, particularly in a restaurant. Just pick something. You're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And then, then the, 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 the fourth one is old world and new world. It's mm-hmm. really helpful if you know if you prefer old world wines versus new world wines. So let me give you the distinction. Old world is basically all of Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really where the Romans brought wa- grapes and wine to, and they are generally more refined, a little less fruit forward. They're not the fruit bombs. When you go new world, which is all of South America, Australia, U.S. primarily, they're generally going to be fruitier, more powerful little less of the sort of other kinds of flavors. The way we talk about that in the wine businesses is, is the fruit driving the bus. That's new world. If the mm. fruit is on the bus, but not driving the bus, it's old world. And, mm. and people have a preference. I tend to prefer old world, but I'll drink them both. But mm-hmm. it's good to understand that, particularly when you're dealing with an, an, a sommelier. And this is my best wine tip that I give to anybody. Yeah. When you call the sommelier over, and let's say you don't know anything about wine, what you do is, you open the wine list, you run your finger down the list. Now you're not pointing at wines, you're pointing at prices. Mm. And you say to the sommelier, I think we'd like something in this region. Now you're pointing at $100 or $150 or $75. Every sommelier worth their salt knows this person would like to spend $100 on a bottle of wine. They'll say, what's everybody having for dinner? veal, lamb, whatever. And they go, I think I'll be able to find you something from that region that I think you'll all quite enjoy. You close the list, put it aside. Everybody thinks you're a genius. The sommelier will take care of you from there on in because sommeliers love to serve people fun wine that matches their, that is their job. That's what they love. They're wine geeks. They are super happy to let have you let them pick the wine because they can surprise you with something fun. So that tip, I have friends that use it all the time and they go, look, People think I'm a damn genius and I don't know anything. So if you take one thing away, that's the tip to take home. Uh, I do love that one. That is genius. And we get, uh, get us uh, off the hook on many occasions when the wine list Mm. is particularly complicated. Uh, So really nice. Um, One further question that I want to dive in, if you don't mind, since you are a sommelier. And I learned the other day, and I assume this is true. uh, I learned it watching a movie that uh, Chateauneuf de Pop, which is one of my favorite old world wines, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and consistently good year after year, uh, is made of 13 varietals, is blend of 13 uh, great varietals. Who figured that one out? And how the heck can you blend 13 things and, and get a flavor? And to me, that's just incredible. I can imagine starting out and having two or three or four kinds of grapes and thinking yeah let's blend these things but how did they ever get to that what's the what's the history and 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 the thinking behind that i'm just wildly curious to know i'm pretty sure i'm sure i know the series you were watching to hear about the chateau neuf de pop by the (laughs) way um uh so you know interestingly enough chateau neuf de pop is in the rhone it's the southern uh rhone area this is an area that's very warm and so they tend to build create very big bold wines 
while there are 13 that are allowable by law and France is all about the wine laws, you thou shalt do X, Y, Z, really most Chateau Neuf de Pop is made of three grapes primarily. Uh, Grenache, Syrah, and Movidre, which are classic, classic combinations. You also will see those out of um, California has a couple of areas that that uh, that make wine of that style. So there are some other minor grapes in there. They tend to be blending, but mostly you're going to get either Syrah dominated or Grenache dominated, generally not Movidre dominated. So GSM is the main three wines that are used. Now, how they came up with 13, God knows. They may have, some may have been indigenous, and they used them. I think the other interesting thing about Chateau Neuf de Pop is the name itself. Mm-hmm. So for those that speak a little bit of French, Chateau Neuf de Pop is basically the new chateau of the Pope. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there was an era that the Pope lived in that particular area of France before they moved to Rome. And so right. it has that history. I, I imagine when I drink Chateau Neuf de Pop that this is the same wine, more or less, that a Pope was drinking sitting in his, you know, his place in that part of the world. So delicious stuff, always big and bold, yeah. you know, great with a big, you know, uh, cassiolet or, um, or, or some other kind of braised meat. It, it needs a big, it needs a big food to go against it because it's so intense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, and, and a favorite, but yes, you're right. Yeah. It needs, it needs something, uh, flavorful and, and, uh, and hearty, uh, a, a stew or something on a cold night, yeah. you know, would go down nice. Um, Perfect. Okay. So uh, uh, I could, I, I've got a thousand questions I want to ask you, but I'm, I'm just going to ask one more. And I think, I, th- I think just one more. I'm, I've been fascinated um, reading about how, for example, England is now becoming a place where you can actually get pretty good uh, uh, sparkling wines. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and there are other parts of the world where with climate change, the, the growing seasons and the, and the conditions that, that create the wines are really changing. Mm-hmm. This is not uh, an answerable question, probably, but how soon should we really start to worry about, say, the wine-growing region of France or Italy? You know, how soon will they become uh, uh, really in trouble because of the, mm-hmm. of the uh, of climate change? Or are there ways in which they can keep sort of adapting as the climate gets hotter and drier or whatever it's going to happen? So almost all wine is grown between the 50th and the 30th parallel, both North and South hemisphere. And what's happening due to global warming is that's moving northward towards the Arctic and Antarctic, right? So we're moving away from the equator because it's just too warm to make good wine. It gets baked and the the grapes are flabby and it's just not good quality wine. So if you were in the very Southern region, Mexico, some of these other areas, and you're trying to grow wine, I would say your days are numbered that you're going to be able to grow good wine because you can't control the climate of a hundred acre farm. You just can't. So you're going to have to grow something else. What's already started to occur though, is the champagne growers, which are in the Northern part of France. And to grow good champagne, you need it relatively cool. Mm. And remember they have chalky soil in uh, the champagne region of France. Well, funny enough, the Southern coast of, of uh, England, which would be you know directly North of there, Right. What's what kind of soil do they have there? The white cliffs of Dover, mm. chalky soil. So what's happened is the champagne growers have started buying land in the southern part of England, anticipating exactly what you're. These are people that think over many generations, right? Yes, yes. They're anticipating that someday champagne may be too warm to grow great champagne, and they're going to have to go northerly. And they've already got their spot picked out, which is why you can get good English sparkling wine many of that 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 much of that region is owned by 
champagne makers out of sh uh, champagne anticipating global warming. And, and I think you're going to see that trend generally of wine being grown in more northerly climates because it will be warm enough to do so. Well, you relieve my uh, anxieties enormously. So uh, just for that alone, I appreciate it. And yeah. <laughs> let me say, the next time you're in Boston, I'm insisting on buying you a dinner and letting you pick the wine. And if you want to use that trick with the sommelier, <laughs> you go right ahead. I don't care. I'm down. For you'll it, never. You'll never know. <laughs> I'll never know. You'll 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 have it uh, figured out before I even focus on what you're doing. So, uh, uh, Jim, thank you so much for being on. Just one question part two and for illuminating us a little bit on the subject of, of wine. It's a great pleasure. And I uh, th thank you for your, uh, for your wise counsel here. No problem. We could have gone for hours, we but thank have. you so much for the time. I appreciate it.